0: So, if you've got a Bible, head on over to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, specifically verses 28 through 34 is what we're going to be looking at. So again, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. Uh, but while you're turning there, uh, I want to let you know that um, my favorite television show of all time, it's, it's off the air now, if you don't know this, here's some stuff for you to know about your pastor, uh, it's the West Wing. The West Wing. I love, love, love that show. I've seen every episode like 20 times. I could recite it. But if you're not familiar with this television series, it's a political, it's like a, it's a drama that brings insight into the day to day operations of the President of the United States and those who are his key staff. So a lot of the interactions take, take place obviously in the White House, but a lot of it in the, actually the, the West Wing. So President Bartlett is kind of the star of the show there, and he's known as a distinguished man with an intellectual brilliance. So if you've seen the show, you grab that. Now, I want to set up a scene for you in that particular series, The West Wing, because I think it sets up nicely what I want to talk to you about here tonight. I believe it's going to honor the Lord. So here's this scene that I want to share with you. So President Bartlett, he's... Getting, he's in a meeting, and he's meeting with his therapist. His therapist's name is Dr. Stanley Keyworth. Now, after a lengthy session between the therapist and, obviously, uh, the president, the therapist stands up. He stands up, and he says to the president of the United States, we are done for the night. Now, he didn't say it in a mean way. He just said, we're done for the night. And then he kind of just says, hey, look, we've been here for about two hours. It's been a double session, so we're done for the night. Now, the president had something to say about that. And he said, Stanley, I hate to put it to you this way, but I'm me and you are you. And we're done when I say that we're done. Pretty powerful, isn't it? The therapist then responds in this way. He says, no, and after a long pause, he said, I think you can use some assistance right now, sir. Use me, don't use me, but all I can offer you is this. I will be the only person in the world other than your family who does not care that you're the president of the United States of America. Our time is up. And the scene flashes where you see the therapist walking out the doors. And there sits what one would say the most powerful man in the world, President Bartlett, in this TV show. And he was just put in his place. And he sits there. It can be humbling sometimes when we try to play God or act like God. And I would say this, like President Bartlett, this fictitious character, I think all of us, if we're honest, play God in different ways in our lives. And you see, the religious leaders of this day, were often playing God, they were twisting scripture, they were taking things, what the original intent was, and twisting it and making it say what they want to say. We have a lot of that going on uh, today, but they're playing God, they're arrogant, they're playing fast and loose with the text, they're no longer looking after the people of God, it's become a bit of a circus, but bless God, they're very distinguished in how they go about things. Well, at the end of the service, I'm gonna come back uh, to this example uh, about the West Wing, and I trust it will wrap everything up and serve you as a congregation well. So in today's teaching, we're going to find it in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. I've told you that, 28 through 34. And what's going to be happening here is you're going to notice something. Jesus is having a conversation. Remember, it's Passion Week, and Jesus is having a conversation with a man who's intellectually astute. And he's going to ask jesus a question and here's the question that jesus is going to be asked by this man jesus which commandment is the most important of all of the commandments and jesus will go on as we'll see he will answer that question but jesus does not stop there he not only quotes the greatest command in scripture Then he added the second greatest commandment without being asked. What unfolds in this story is the scribe will not only get the answer to his question, his face-to-face encounter with Jesus will ultimately lead him to be standing heart-to-heart with eternity. What will he do? Well, here's a little spoiler alert. We never know what he actually does. We don't know if he came to a saving faith. We don't know how it ends. We just know much of the conversation. So I'll leave it for you to guess. Or maybe you'll find that it's not important and it's not the main idea of the text. But I'll leave that for you to discern. So again, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, 28 through 34. Please stand up if you're there. We're going to read God's Word together as a church family. My sermon title this morning is Love God with Your Everything love God with your everything. Again, spoiler alert, you cannot do that unless you're saved. You cannot do it. And if you're saved, it'll take a lifetime doing it. But you can. Here's God's word. And one of the scribes, he came up and he heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, the scribe, he answered, and he's seeing that he answered them well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. And Jesus answered, verse 29, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these and the scribe he said to him you are right teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 34, and when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, listen, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. So reads God's holy and errant word. You may be seated. Well, I want to start by just examining the first verse in verse 28. Again, I'll read it again. And one of the scribes came up and he heard them, one of the scribes, and he heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Again, just... Play with me a little bit, pretend like this is a movie scene, and I want to introduce you to the three characters that we see in the text. We read here, there's a scribe. We see a them, and then we see him. Scribe, them, and him. Him meaning meaning Jesus. Them meaning the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. So that's kind of lumped together in that group. And the scribe. Now, this scribe was part of the Pharisee sect. However, let me give you some insight on what a scribe is or what a scribe does. Remember what I told you, this guy's very intellectual. He's a sharp person. He's no dummy. A scribe is one who gave themselves to the careful study of the biblical text and they developed rules for transcribing the text. They were the keepers and translators of the scriptures. Now this particular scribe, as I said, belonged to the sect known as the Pharisees. And before we start picking on scribes, which we certainly can do that here, remember Ezra was a scribe. There's a big difference between the scribes, uh, you know, hundreds of years before this, and then the scribes here during Jesus' time where he came to this earth. There's a big difference. There's a problem here uh, of gigantic proportions. Now the text says that the scribe came up, that's what your text says, the scribe came up and he heard the religious leaders disputing with one another, arguing or trying to figure things out, right? It could mean a lot of different things. Let's just say that it means what it means, they're disputing with one another. So the scribe, he didn't just arrive on the scene, okay? He had been in that crowd and now he steps out from that crowd and asks Jesus the most powerful question. And we know that it's not just a powerful question, it's an honest question, a question to which is unlike the others who kept asking Jesus questions to trap Jesus. That's not what I believe is happening here. I think he's asking with sincerity, okay? Now we know if we read up to where we just got done to read, if we go back in the text, we could see that these religious uh, leaders, them, they kept trying to trap Jesus. That's not what's happening here, okay? Uh, He's asking a genuine question. He's interested in what the Lord has to say. So again, the question being asked is, which commandment is the most important of all? And then as I've already shared with you, Jesus goes on to answer the question posed posed by the scribe, In verses 29 through 31. So we see a question being asked. The scribe asks the question. Jesus answers the question. So let's look at verses 29 and 30. And also, as we read, remember the audience is not just the scribe, there are many other people listening, but he's addressing the scribe. So many are listening. This is Passion Week. We know ultimately what happens to Jesus. So here's how he's answering it, 29 30. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Maybe you have it circled in your Bible, what all those things mean. But let's just know they're ultimately pointing to one thing, that we were to love God with everything. Like, what does that mean? Like, with everything. That's what it means. So, is that the main point? It could be. But let's again know that you can't do this unless you're saved. It would seem to me the emphasis would be at the very end of our text. Because we know what to do, but I think oftentimes we don't know how to do it. And I think that's explained in great detail. You know, what's happening here between the scribe and Jesus, and for those who would listen with sincerity, who would be open to not be haughty, to not act like President Bartlett, when I tell you to, you can be done when I say you're done mentality, if you're open, we might just learn things. And isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ is their incarnate? It is God standing in front of the most elite of the elite. And if they would just be humble, and some of them are, it's almost like Jesus is saying, let me go into the closet of your life. Let me look in every single room. Let me inspect it. Not only will I see dirty things, but there might be some things that you think are clean, but they're not clean, so let me inspect. How many times, men, have your wives asked you to clean something, and you've cleaned it, and you want to pat on the back like an eight-year-old and said it ain't clean. You needed someone to inspect it. Well, in the same manner, the Lord will inspect it. So they're being inspected, ultimately, as this Verses start to expand here. But Jesus, in the response to the scribe, he does, he gave us the response, but what's he doing here? Jesus has just responded, just responded with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. He's responding to something that they know. He's not trying to trick them. He's not trying to make things a mystery. He's telling them, what they already know so it's deuteronomy 6 4 and 5 which is also called the shema now the shema shema is the hebrew word for the word "hear," "hear." a verse that would be known to all of those who are in attendance they were all those that were there listening including the scribe they know every jew would know the shema or Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, because every Jew would recite this verse every single morning and every single night. They knew this verse like we would know John 3, 16. Yet, let me pause here. You and I can recite lots of Scripture and still be far from God. The Shema was so vital to the Jews of the day that the verse was written on tiny scrolls and carried in a little box called the phylactery. Now you may have seen that with Jews. We saw it when we were in, when Ron and I were in uh, Jerusalem, Israel. We saw that. Um, this box was small enough to be placed onto the wrist or the foreheads of the Jews. It's called the phylactery. Now, godly households, so think about that, the Word of God, put on a scroll and put on your wrist or your forehead. So not only are they reciting it, it's on their heads. It's on their wrists, okay? So this is big time. Now, godly households during this time, they also place the Shema on their doors in a small round box called the mezuzah. Is that mezuzah? How do I say it? Okay, mezuzah. You know what I'm thinking, I won't go there. Let me just pause for a second. You and I can wear a t-shirt with our favorite Bible verse on it. We can hang a plaque on our doorbell that says, For me and my house will serve the Lord. And yet, be completely far from God. That's third grade. I know you know that. Of course, many of us place a plaque next to, For me and my house will serve the Lord with a big says, no solicitors, we hate you, don't come to our door. (laughs) You may not say I don't hate you, but it could be annoying, but by the way, that could be an opportunity for you to share the gospel. By the way, practical teaching. What do you think happens to somebody that's selling stuff door to door? And not everybody's crazy. I wonder how we as a church could look at them and just say, You've been out here all day, probably getting a lot of no's. Can I just give you a glass of water? Here's a bottle of water. Take it with you. I don't want your newspaper subscription. I got one, but I'll give you this. I'll give you some water. Or take this snack with you. I wonder if that would send a different message and just get out of here, solicitors. Maybe the God is sending someone to your door. Don't send them away. If you're going to send me a letter, send it to, to Ron Gallerians. But the Shema was also the creed of Israel. And this Shema is the summary of what it meant to to be a good Jew. That everything was to be devoted to a living God, this living God. Everything. It was about what? It was about pleasing God in every single area of your life. That God is everything. And it still applies to us. We're to devote everything to God. We're to surrender all. But Jesus does not conclude his response as to what, Jesus does not conclude his response there. Uh, He continues his answer in verse 31, and again he's quoting scripture. He quotes Leviticus 19, 18. And Jesus says the second is this. Remember he wasn't asked that. But he's adding that. He's saying the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Greater than these. So you may be asking, since this is the greatest commandment, and often talked about in the church, what is the big deal about this? What is the big deal? What is the brilliance or the genius of Jesus' answer to the scribe? Well, it's simply in this. The thoughts of a holy, righteous God, the thoughts of loving God and loving people had been voiced by other rabbis and scribes. But this is it. But this was the first time, the first time that any rabbi had fused these two specific scripture references together. The first thing that Jesus did was summarize summarize the entire Ten Commandments. In verse 30, Jesus summarizes the first four of the commandments. Here's what they have to deal with. The first four, here's what they deal with. They have to deal with our love for God. Our love for God. Now the second part of, of the commandment that Jesus gives It summarizes the final six commands, which have to do with our love for people. First four, love of God. Last six, love for people. The reason that Jesus added the second commandment is he wanted it clearly known that to know God is to love God, and to love God is to love the people. To love people to love people and he's saying ultimately look these two things cannot be divided i must add these things because this goes together and they'd never heard such teaching side note later this would have tremendous impact on the church and i believe it has impact on our church here at Lakeshore. remember it was john who wrote whoever loves god must also love his brother so it is only so it is that second only to our love for god are the people right so we're to be people who love our neighbor you would say yes and amen to that you agree with that to love our neighbor again who is that who is that it's anyone around you that has a need and that you can actually meet that need the church can't meet that need okay that's who the neighbor is right in galatians 6 10 it says therefore as we church as we have opportunity let us do good to all people. How about just the saved? No. All people. Be a witness. But then it says in Galatians 6, 10, again, listen. It's out of the NIV. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now listen to this emphasis. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those in the church. Wow. You know, I read this, and at first glance, it sounds like Jesus is wanting this church, Lakeshore City Church, to know that it's important for us to love God and to love people. It's so profound, I think we should write that someplace in our church when we walk in. That we'd be a church that loves God and loves people. And then ultimately make disciples, which we'll talk about in two weeks. We do, when you walk in, it says, love God, love Now next week, Pastor Jim will dig deeper on love people. His sermon title next week is called Growing in Favor with God and Man. But I want to go back to the scribe's response to Jesus' answer. We see this back and forth. Scribe asks a question, Jesus answers. Scribe asks a question, Jesus answers, right? Let's look at the scribe's response to Jesus. And the scribe said to him, you are right. Teacher, you have truly said that He is one, and there is no other besides Him. Now, side note: It's funny to me that the scribe is applauding Jesus. It is funny, though. I mean, if you think about it, it would be, in a way, even in a lesser way, it'd be like me uh, having the Apostle Paul preach a sermon than me trying to weigh in and trying to help him out a little bit. Yeah, I like the way you handle the text. I thought you did good here, but a little more emphasis here or here. It's just comical to me. Maybe it's not to you, so I'll just keep going. Verse 33, And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than, the, than, all, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. In other words, sacrifice is worthless if we don't do these two things. Everything's worthless unless we do these things. If we just did these two things, things will be just fine that's what it means the scribe has applauded Jesus answer perhaps the scribe has been dissatisfied with the twisting of scripture from religious leaders maybe maybe not Uh, the profession of being a scribe had deteriorated so significantly in the days of Jesus that a scribe who once gave themselves to careful study of the biblical text is now being mimicked, and now it's no longer what the Word of God says, it's what does the man say, and they put that in there, to do what? To go ahead and entertain or placate carnal man. What would benefit us, just like they're doing today? So this has been going on for a long time. So We don't know exactly why. But this, but this scribe doesn't just applaud Jesus, He repeats the answer, and he adds in verse 33 that these two commands are more important than the burnt offerings and sacrifice. This is powerful, church, because what the scribe is doing is he is publicly declaring something. He is stepping out. This is a man's man. He's not trying to be like everybody else. He's not trying to get along and go along. A lot of our politicians these days, that whatever you want to hear, and they just go along with whatever. We see people that used to vote one way. They're just falling over like trees. It's what do you want to hear? Not this man. Not this man. The, the, he, he's publicly making the statement. He's publicly endorsing Jesus. He's saying this publicly. I agree with what he just said. I agree with Jesus' an interpretation of this. I'm a scribe. I, this guy gets it. That's what's happening. The scribe is saying, I approve of Jesus' teachings. But the scribe is going to learn something, and we all learn this, that one must do more than approve of Jesus' teachings. A lot of people sitting in churches in the south and bless God, I love God, and I love sweet tea, and I'm in church every single week. They don't know God. They're far from God, not everyone. But we get faked out that being a christian isn't going to church it's part of it right being a christian is loving god with everything you can't do that perfectly but through the power of the holy spirit we continue to grow in holiness see what jesus has to say to the to the to the scribe see it in 28 through 30 we'll see it in 34. and when jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, interesting, when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, who's in charge? He says, hey, scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, you taking a stand like this, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And it says, I love this part. And after that, no one, no one, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. It was like, what's happening here? Jesus is setting the record straight with even the scribe who agrees with him. But especially everyone who's listening. Jesus is claiming to be God that'll get you killed and it did he's not claiming to be a third God he said I'm God only God can make the claim of who will enter the kingdom so when Jesus says you have answered wisely and you're not far from the kingdom of God he is claiming his deity This is so stunning that, again, the last part of verse 34, which I've read, it says that after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. This is a mic drop of epic proportion in this time in history. They may not have agreed with him, but he doesn't care if you agree with them. He's just telling you the way it is. Interesting, isn't it? He's not asked. It's not subject to your approval, he's saying. It is what it is. It's God being gracious and merciful to tell people who He is. I'm standing in front of you. Emmanuel, God with us. They know this stuff. But yet you can know and not know. The scribe came to Jesus and I believe he came humbly and he came with a great question but he did not walk away with salvation he came with a great question but he doesn't walk away with salvation one author said it this way It does not take much of a man to be a believer, but it takes all there is of him. Powerful. But if you see God's grace and His mercy here, He's urging the scribe. It's me. He's appealing to the scribe. We see God's grace on display. I told you we would come back to That uh, West Wing story. Remember what I told you at the beginning. President President Bartlett had responded to his therapist, Dr. Stanley. And he says, Stanley, I hate to put it to you this way, but I'm me and you are you and you're done. We're done when we say I'm done. Remember that? Therapist, of course, responded with, I've shared this with you. Uh, I think you can use some assistance right now, sir. Use me, don't use me, but all I can offer is this. I will be the only person in the world that other than your family that who doesn't care that you that you're the president our time is up. Remember that part. You see the therapist was teaching President Bartlett a few things. And sometimes God sends people to teach us a few things. But he was the therapist was preparing the president, for some brutal honesty. He had been given him honesty. He, He was trying to identify the source of the problems. Beloved, problems may be the very thing that God will use to bring you to your knees. As I've said before, it's not happening to you, it might be happening for you, it might be the very thing that sends you to spend eternity with him. The therapist also sets boundaries, and it doesn't matter who you are. He's setting boundaries, even with the president of the United States. The therapist was not treating the president with, wasn't just, he wasn't treating the president. He wasn't treating the title of the president. Here's what he was doing. Grab this. He was treating the man. That's why it's powerful. President Bartlett didn't need just somebody else. He needed someone to speak the truth. Today, the Word of God speaks to us. It's God speak. God speaks to us, this great physician who can heal our greatest disease. The greatest disease that all of us have, we've all had this disease, is sin. That's the greatest disease that plagues all of us sin. Sin. That's the greatest disease. When Jesus treats a man or gives us the way of salvation, we have to be listening. Oh, hear the Word of God. You know, the most miserable person in the room right now or listening online is the Christian who's not right with Jesus. They know Jesus, but they just are not right with Him. Don't leave this place today until you get right with Jesus to confess your sin and get on the right track with Jesus. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to us. We'd love to help you. There are a lot of people that help you, but come talk to one of the elders, leaders, prayer team. We'd help you with that. But here's some things we can learn today. We must learn that it's entirely possible to have grown up in the church or even have godly parents and never have come to a saving faith in Christ. We can grab that from the text today. We must learn that you may have studied theology, went to seminary. You might know your Hebrew Hebrew and Greek. You may be able to recite the Shema or John 3.16, but it doesn't mean that you're saved. We must learn that You may have heard the grace of Christ preached over and over again. You may have heard it your whole life and still be resting in your own goodness. We must learn today that we can be within an inch of the kingdom of God and still end up in hell. My thought is this, that there would be some of you in this room and maybe watching online, Are right there this morning where you're close to the kingdom of God you might even in a good way because I want to applaud the scribe here for a moment I don't know if he got saved I don't know that he didn't get saved but maybe you're like the scribe where you're moving toward the kingdom of God yet you're not in the kingdom of God there's progress the questions that you have about the things of God are legitimate and your heart may be sincere but it doesn't mean you're saved you can be sincere and not be saved I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul who said this behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation beloved here's the real deal not what we want to hear what we need to hear Beloved, you're either in the kingdom of God or you're outside. There is no middle ground. There is no halfway house. There is no half in or half out. You're either in or you're out. Be wise, be discerning, beg God to give you ears to hear. Pray that God would draw you unto himself this morning and hear the word of God this morning. Is it ringing in your ears? If it is, then draw near to God. The Bible says, that, it says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, Isaiah 55, 6. The Bible says in Romans uh, uh, Romans three twenty three that all have fallen short, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God. Did you ever notice that you don't have to teach a kid to do wrong? You have to teach a kid to do right. We're all sinful. We're all a needy recipient of God's grace. The Bible says none is righteous. No, not one. So the question is, Pastor, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? Don't take my words for it let's use the word of god as our authority mark 1:14 1, 1:14 14, 1, 14 and 15 says this jesus came into galilee he was proclaiming the gospel of god and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel Brothers, our brothers and sisters, this is tr- a true statement. A cross is not what we wear, it's what we bear. Christ has bore our sin, and the way of the cross is the path of self-denial, the, the, the way of sacrifice, but every step leads us upward to glory. To be undecided, as Dennis Agajanian once said, To be undecided is to be decided. Remember, listen to me. You can be near the kingdom and not in the kingdom. Are you in the kingdom? Brothers and sisters, I can't save anyone. I can pray pray a prayer with you. You can recite it back to me and that doesn't mean you're a Christian. The evidence of one salvation is that he who began a good work and you would finish. I'd be so encouraged if 50 of you came and said, I want to be a Christian. But I've been doing this far too long to know this. Just because someone says doesn't mean that someone is. But I'll tell you this, if someone says I am, I'm going to pour my heart and soul into you and so will this church. So it's not my job to find out who's in and who's not. It's my job is to love you and train you and get you going so you can equip the next generation of Christians, and we'll do that together.